Yes, Father, as it says on the screen, when we live counter to culture, we bring heaven to earth. And boy, Lord, have you been setting up a standard that is counter to our culture? And yet, Lord, that's the whole point. Mission accomplished. Lord, you want, it, you want us to get through our thick heads that we cannot live this Christian life in our own strength. And Father, it continues today. So Lord, would you speak through me as we listen to what you have to say to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are my rock and my redeemer. And we give this time to you now and anticipate hearing from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Yeah, I've had a few people that have said, Pastor, this, uh, this has been tough these last few weeks. It seems like every week it's one more thing that I, I want to do, and I'm told I can't. And then there's this impossible standard that is set up, and that's exactly the whole point. In fact, this afternoon, uh, or actually this morning, 11 o'clock, over in the quad, when I'm going to do the, uh, the hot button topics, that's a lot of what we're going to be getting into there as well. As, as many Christians get so frustrated with this standard that Jesus has set up that they just sort of give up on the whole thing. It's called uh, deconstructionism, and we're going to talk about that and uh, what is the real solution. Don't deconstruct your faith. Actually, uh, lean more into it, what God actually has for us, and we're going to be looking at that. Uh, there's certainly a lot of hot buttons in the world out there, but there's a few of us that we have right here. One of them, as we're going to see this, afternoon, this morning, is the Bible. I don't know about you, but I love action movies. Uh, in, fact, in fact, when I go to the movies, I find increasingly, Jackie and I both agree on this, that we almost need action movies to keep our attention, just to keep us going. And the best, thing, the best action movies are those action movies that, that involve revenge, right? I mean, back in the old days, you had guys like Charles Bronson who, uh, you know, they, were, they, they had done something to his family, so he picks up his gun and he goes after them. Or Clint Eastwood that stuck up for the little guy. Or even uh, some of you might remember Billy Jack, you know, was there for the downtrodden. You know, later, it, it, in more modern times, we have Jason Stratham who, uh, you know, would, would avenge his family. Or... Uh, Who's the other guy? Put the last one up there. I forget who I'm talking about. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I have a particular set of skills. I will find you, and I will kill you, right? And we love that, right? Because, you know, it's, it's just, it's only a matter of time before the guy that deserves everything that Liam Neeson is going to do to him finally gets his comeuppance, right? And we love that. And this morning, we're going to be seeing similar things in God's Word. I, I like I, I, one of my favorite, probably my favorite uh, theater production of all time is Fiddler on the Roof. And um, it, it's kind of my dream role. And fortunately, the, the role of Tevya, the milkman, and fortunately, I'm only, you know, the older I get, the more and more I look like Tevya, the milkman. So it, it takes less and less makeup every year that goes, and maybe someday somebody will offer me the role and I'll actually be able to do it, oh dear Lord, you know. Anyway, <laughs> and there's a scene in... Uh, in, in the, this, when the Tsar, the, the Russian leader, tells the people in the village of Anatevka that he's going to confiscate their land and throw them off of the land. And the people naturally are tremendously upset about this. And they're saying, we need to do something about this. After all, the Bible says, the Lord says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
To which Tevye says, yes, well, that would uh, pretty much result in a bunch of blind, toothless people, would it not? And Jesus uses that same passage that they uh, talk about this morning. We see revenge all around us, don't we? Revenge in terms of, you know, cut somebody off on the highway, and what are they going to probably do? They're going to figure out a way to get in front of you and cut you off. And that's, that's what we see in our passage this morning as Jesus quotes this same passage of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We kind of like that because why? It's about getting even. It's about fairness. And yet for Jesus, it's about love even for our enemies. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 5.38, where we're going to pick up where we left off last week. As always, I encourage you to pull out your note cards. If you didn't get one, put your hand up, and one of our ushers will get one to you. There's questions on the back, which we are using in our life groups this week. Feel free to use those. If you're joining with us online, uh, all of this material is available on the church app, so make sure you've downloaded that. For the past three weeks now, Jesus has been telling his disciples and us what they are to do in order to be righteous. And of course, Jesus is setting the bar really, really high. In verse 20, this is what he said. For I say to you, unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is not just high. This, to, to their ears, this would seem impossible. The scribes and the Pharisees were super religious. They were the, the superstars spiritually of their day. Well, then Jesus then goes on to explain just how these can be done, this can be done. And in a series of six statements uh, between verses 21 and 48, he says this, he has this, this uh, vehicle that he uses where he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, you can go back online and see uh, these messages if you missed them, but he's talked about murder and adultery and divorce and last week oaths and, and making promises. And today we get into the final two. Oh boy, finally, only get ready. It's going to get worse after that. And, so, and he talk, he's going to talk here about how to really, how to really love those that, let's be honest, I don't really want to love them. How do I do that? And the first thing he shows us this morning is you love them with actions. Verse 38, here we go. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this statement comes from several Old Testament passages. If you're taking notes, you can write down Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 19. Let's look at Leviticus uh, 24. Here's one example of that phrase. Now, if someone takes any human life, he must be put to death. But the one who takes the life of an animal shall make restitution, life for life. If someone injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a person, so shall it be inflicted on him. Now, the reason for this law, believe it or not, was to warn people who might commit crimes that there is a penalty to be paid for this, so it was somewhat of hopefully a deterrent, but it was also, believe it or not, a way to limit retribution. So there wouldn't be this, this escalating vengeance and revenge. You know, what, what, what is it in the untouchables? You send one of, uh, they send one of ours to the hospital, we send one of theirs to the morgue, okay? And so what God has actually set up here is a system whereby the punishment must fit the crime. 
an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Otherwise, it, it doesn't stop. You have family feuds starting up, like the Hatfields and McCoys that went on for 100 years. And it never ends, and it amps up more and more. So now, that's what they've been told. So Jesus says, what, is he, so what does Jesus say? Verse 39, but I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek toward him also. The law is fair. And, and by the way, what we're talking about here are personal interactions. But like he's been doing all along, Jesus replaces the law with an et- internal attitude, and in, an internal a- that is prompts an, an external action. I mean, think about this. As American, as an American, I have certain rights. And let's be honest, as a disciple of Christ, you have rights as well. What Jesus is saying here is that we are to voluntarily set aside those rights for a greater purpose. That purpose being to be a witness of the gospel, to be a witness of the kingdom of God, as we saw on those those placards in the video at the beginning. Demonstrating humility and selflessness. Who did that? Jesus. And is that not going to be a witness to the people around you? This idea of turning the other cheek is an interesting thing. The people that Jesus was speaking through, uh, to, I'm sorry, uh, knew that this, this being hit on the cheek was an insulting gesture. First off, they would use their right hand to do things like that because being left-handed was looked down upon. Sorry, lefties, but it was, okay? And so even if you were left-handed, you would use your right hand. Now, think about this for a minute. Take, take your left, uh, the, the slap would then be on your right cheek. So if you take and you, you turn to somebody on either side of you and take your left finger and put it on your right cheek, okay, like that. All right. Now, can you punch where they are pointing? There's a good chance you can't, not very easily. And so what would you do with your right hand? You would give them a backhanded slap. And that would be a very humiliating uh, thing to have happen to somebody. And the person that is doing the hitting is showing contempt for that person. People slapped people because those people were seen as weak. Slaves and women were the ones that would get treated this way. And so when Jesus says you turn the other cheek, what he's essentially getting at here is you are turning your cheek and you're giving him your left cheek so that now he can hit you full on with his fist. But realize this, you're not becoming a doormat, as some would say. No, instead, you're saying, I'm not weak. You're not going to slap me around. Hit me like a man. Think about it that way. Instead of retaliation, instead of revenge, Jesus is asking us to commit our case to the Lord, realizing that one day he is going to set all things right. And I know I can hear it now, but I want to set it right right now. I want Rambo in here right now to drew first blood, okay? I, I want this to be taken care of. What he's calling for us to do here is simply, quote unquote, to simply surrender our personal rights. Be so intent upon making an impact for Christ that you will risk being hurt. You'll risk being hit again. Tough, huh? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. This disciple business isn't, isn't easy. And then Jesus has to go and up the ante. Look what he says in verse 40. He says, if anyone wants to sue you 
and take your tunic, then let him have your cloak also. Now, most people in those days only owned a couple of pieces of clothing. The undergarment, the tunic, was the shirt, or the shirt, and then the outer garment, the cloak. Under the law, nobody could take your cloak, so someone here is suing for the tunic, and Jesus says, well, go ahead, give them your cloak as well. And again, what's happening? You're not being a doormat. In one sense, you could look at this as, I am taking the power back. They took my tunic, but I gave the cloak. I'm the one that's doing the giving here. Again, our actions should demonstrate the attitude that Jesus is commanding of his disciples. Don't hold on too tightly to your possessions, your tunics, your cloak. Instead, use them to make a statement. And again, Jesus makes his point. Verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, this was a very sore subject with Jesus' followers, with the Jews in particular, because they were a conquered people. And the Roman government was in charge. And this is one of the things they had the right to do. And so when every time they were, they were demanded uh, that they would have to carry somebody's stuff, they would have to go with them and carry their, their armor or whatever, it reminded them of this humiliating fact that if this Roman soldier taps you on the soldier, you had to carry his baggage one mile, no matter what you were doing. And they hated this. I mean, who wouldn't? It meant that they had to submit to these Gentile dogs, and it was humiliating. I read that for the average person, they would actually go out and measure the distance of one mile from their house so that they would know that when I was finished carrying it, when I got to that stake in the ground, I could drop everything, and, and I've fulfilled my, my responsibility to you. And so what does Jesus do? He says, go another mile. Again, you had no choice in the first mile, but the second mile is your choice. The second mile, now you're taking control. You're, it's your chance to say, God is in control here. He gives me energy, and a mile is nothing to me. If you want to know where I get the power to live my life from, well, try and keep up with me. Let's go. I'll tell you. Finally, one more example, verse 42. Jesus says to him, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. He's telling us here that we should be generous, to hold on loosely to our possessions, hold on loosely to our rights, give to others when the need arises. And now let me give you some qualifiers. What Jesus is saying is here, is he telling us here, for instance, that we should allow ourselves to be beat up? No. Is he saying that we should never go to court? No. Do we, do we give without any kind of discernment, even though that giving might hurt somebody? No. But if you look at the context, what Jesus is talking about here is personal retaliation, personal revenge. We're not talking about criminal offenses. We're not talking about military aggression. And I would encourage you, as particularly this week, as you be getting into this in life groups, do some study on this for yourself. Discern for yourself, what is Jesus getting at here? And then be true to what the Spirit is telling you. Jesus is calling here for loving actions that come from a heart that is completely surrendered to him. And you know what? It works. We've seen examples in history. Mahatma Gandhi fought the British Empire, and ultimately you could say that he won with a, a doctrine of nonviolence. Now, Gandhi was not a Christian, but he credits this portion of the Bible with his discovery of how to approach power. And do you remember who was really more successful in the civil rights movement? Was it the Black Panthers 
Or was it Dr. Martin Luther King with his, his, his principle of nonviolence? In both cases, the oppressors against them didn't know what to do about them. These guys wouldn't fight back. They don't know how to, how to deal with that. And ultimately, they lost the battle. What's Jesus' goal in this teaching? Well, think about it this way. As we are approaching the Easter season, we're told not to resist an evil person. So what did the soldiers do? They slapped Jesus around, and he let them. We're told to give our cloak as well. They took the clothes off Jesus' back. We're told to carry the burden the extra mile, and Jesus, of course, carried that cross all the way to Calvary. Do you get it? He didn't retaliate, and what happened? He changed the world. And as we imitate him, we will see changes as well. <laughs> Still want to be like Jesus? I had that conversation with someone. You want to you follow Christ? This is what it means. How do we really, really love our enemies? We love them with our actions. It's going to cause them at the very least to say, what is wrong with you, man? And then we get to explain what's wrong or what's right with us. Jesus, Jesus continues with his final, the last of the six points that he makes, and that is to love them with your attitudes. Verse 43, he says, for the, for the final time, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now again, where are they hearing these things? Well, they're hearing these things, obviously, from the scribes and the Pharisees, those whose righteousness they need to exceed. And it's interesting because it, there have been accurate depictions of what they have been hearing, uh, or I should say what they have been hearing has been accurately uh, transmitted to them from the Old Testament. In this case, it's only half right. The first half is the law, love your neighbor. The second half, interestingly enough, is not the law. It's just the opposite of the law. Let me give you an example. Exodus 23, 4, and 5 uh, doesn't say that we are to hate our enemies. It says, if you encounter your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you must return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall not leave it helpless for its owner. You must arrange the load with him. Or how about Proverbs 25, 21, where it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. The first half is correct. Love your neighbor. That is from the Old Testament. The second half, hate your enemy. That actually is how the scribes and Pharisees explained the law. They said, for it, look at this reasoning from the scribes and Pharisees. My hatred is how God is judging my enemies. That's, that's kind of how they would twist it around in order to make that case. They really wanted to hate their enemies. And so they're not a whole lot different from us, right? I mean, I want permission to feel, to feel the way I feel towards some people. When Jesus is teaching a similar thing in Luke 10, in fact, I would encourage you, write down Luke 10, 25 and beyond and look that up. It's kind of a parallel passage. But Jesus is talking about loving your neighbor and it says that a lawyer approaches him. And remember, the scribes were the lawyers, so it's probably a scribe. And he asked him, okay, I've got to love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? <laughs> He's looking for the escape clause, okay? I said, like, there's certain people I want to hate. So if I can make that person not my neighbor, then I can hate them. 
So, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And what does Jesus answer? He gives them the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, that, and basically what he says, if you know the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's basically saying that everybody you encounter is your neighbor. Whether you hate them, whether you don't hate them, whether they're despised, whether they're, they're admired, everybody is my neighbor. They couldn't wiggle out of that. No doubt they're looking for those escape clauses, but they're just not there. As you might expect, Jesus' application was exactly the opposite of what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. Look at verse 44 here in Matthew 5. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why do we pray for our enemies? Because in doing so, we reflect the character of our Father in heaven who blesses everybody, righteous, unrighteous, uh, the, the, the evil, the good. He loved us while we were sinners, while I was his enemy. Romans 5.8 tells me that. And he continues to love those of us who reject him. If I want to be godly, guys, that's how it's done. And again, you know, we, we often say, well, that's, that's easy for you to say. Well, of course it is. But you see, but I, I can hear it now, but I just can't love that person after what they've done to me, after the way they've treated me, after the things they've said about me. And believe me, Scripture teaches as much. The law says that. We cannot do that. That's the whole purpose of the law. It's telling us this is something we are incapable of doing. That's why there's God's grace. That's why there's God's mercy. That's why Jesus tells us to pray for them. You ever had an experience where you've actually stepped out and been obedient in that little command and you've started praying for somebody that you really have an issue with? I've been there because, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a professional Christian. Right? I get, I got to say it, I get paid for being good and, you know, the rest of you are good for nothing, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and so... There are times, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but there are times when I'm having issues with, with people and, and, but I, and God convicts me and I, I, I think of passages like this and I go, okay, Lord, I, I'm going to pray for them and, you know, empower me to do the right thing. And let me tell you guys, when you seriously do that, when you really, really do that in the power of the spirit within you, it's awfully hard to continue to hate them. God starts to change you. He starts to change your heart. There was a, a couple years ago that really was on the attack of Jackie and myself. And it, it, it was just, it was a real struggle. Kept us up nights. And we, you know, it, it makes you question yourself. Have I, have I done anything to, to cause this? And, and, and so we started praying for them. And it was amazing. Nothing changed with them <laughs> that we could see anyway. It wasn't like suddenly, you know, lightning hit them and, and they were suddenly nice people. It, that didn't happen, but a whole lot changed in us to where the impact of what they were doing just wasn't there anymore. It didn't have any purchase in our lives. When you pray for someone, two things are going to happen. First off, and most importantly, you change. And secondly, maybe they change. <laughs> 
Maybe it takes a long time. Maybe never. I don't know. But that, after a while, that isn't even the point anymore. I, I can tell you from, from, this, from the standpoint of where I'm at now, it's not that I don't care. I would love to see it. But, I, but it's not. I would love to see total reconciliation, but not for me, but for them. I'm okay. I, and, and God has shown me that. But I, I, I still want to see reconciliation, not because of what it's going to do for me, but what it's going to do for them. <laughs> still deciding if you're going to obey these commands that the Lord's given us? Well, Jesus wants you to know how important this is. Look at verse 46. And this is just logic. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? Everybody loves people that love them. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, <laughs> do they not do the same? If you only love those that you love, you're not any different than anyone else. Your, your faith is not being seen, and you're certainly not acting like Christ. If you love your enemies, if you love those who are persecuting you, you will be different, and people will notice. I loved a few years ago when um, the owner of Chick-fil-A uh, supported some stuff that, uh, that the uh, LGBTQ community had issues with. And so they began to picket Chick-fil-A's. And it was interesting to see how the Chick-fil-A restaurants decided that they were going to provide lunch for the picketers. And so these people are out there with their signs and they're trying to disrupt their business. And out comes an employee with a tray of chicken sandwiches and say, here, you guys want some lunch, want some Cokes and all that? And they're like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you? They didn't know how to handle that. And it's exciting when we see those, these kinds of things working out. What happens when they notice that you're different? Trust me, they're going to ask why. And I remember at that time, there were people saying, why are you doing this? And they had a chance to say, because of my relationship with Christ, because of what he tells me how to do. 1 Peter 3.15, you know it well, I, I quote it a lot, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In other words, make him the boss of your life, put him in control, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. And you know, the only reason they're going to ask is because they see something that makes an impression on them. And when you're loving them for no other reason other than I'm just going to love you, that makes an impression. And that makes them want to know what is up with you. Why are you doing this? So the hope that you have seen, that they have seen, is when they see you loving them with actions, when, they, when you love them with your attitudes, and finally, one more thing, love them with God's love. I love the way Jesus ends this little uh, uh, this little section. He says in verse 48, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So there you go. Just do that. Just be perfect. <laughs> and at this point, I hope you're getting the point that he's making here. This is impossible. I mean, for the past three weeks at least and, and beyond, we have been hearing over and over and over again how perfect we are not. And in the past three weeks, we've realized that I'm a murderer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a liar, I'm a deceiver, I prefer revenge to loving, and I hate those whom God loves. And of course, that's exactly Jesus' point in saying this. I am all of those things in my own strength. I will never be perfect as God is perfect. I, have, I am incapable of doing that. 
And that's the standard, like the law, that Jesus is setting up. But if I trust in Christ, if I submit to his control, is, as his character is reproduced in my life and through my life, God's grace and God's mercy is something that people begin to see in me. You see, guys, what Jesus is getting at here is that the law is not the standard of perfection. God is the standard of perfection. And the only way I can really, truly love my enemies is through the power of Christ in me. If we could live the way that Jesus told us to live in this chapter, guess what? We would be perfect. You would never hate. You would never slander. You would never speak evil of another person. You would never lust. You would never covet anything. You would never make a false oath. You would always be completely truthful. You would love your neighbors, and you especially would even love your enemies. And then what would we have? <laughs> Verse 20, you would have a righteousness greater than the scribes and Pharisees. And people, that very perfection that allows me to love others with God's love is available to me as I realize who I am in Christ. The Apostle Paul explained it this way in Galatians chapter 2. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. For I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. How do I really love my enemies? I love them with godly actions. How do I love them with godly attitudes? How do I love them with God's love? I live by faith, as Paul says here, in the Son of God. I ask him to fill me with his spirit. Ephesians 5.18, as I quote quite often, because I'm quoting it to myself, is that, you know, do not be, uh, do not be uh, drunk with wine, wear into excess, but rather be filled with the spirit. Be being filled with the spirit. It's a continuous action in Ephesians 5.18. And as I am filled with the Spirit, then His attitudes and His actions and His love becomes mine. But why is it a continuous action? Because it doesn't stick. <laughs> I still have my own self in there. And there's this battle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 where he says, the things I want to do are the things I don't do and the things I'm doing are the very things I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Praise be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way he wants us to live. And he sets up this impossible standard so we don't ever think, we don't ever conceive that somehow I can do this on my own. I'm not even called to do this on my own. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. They're the ones that set up the 600 plus laws, follow all the rules and make sure you're doing everything to the T that you're supposed to do and then you will be righteous. No, you won't. <laughs> you're just going to be a... a, a a very good behaving sinner, okay? It's not, as Paul says, he died to the law so that he can live to Christ. Let me give you a couple of takeaways on this. First off, I, I look at this passage and I ask myself, what do my actions say to people? As I live my life, as I, as I speak to people, as I, as I do things in front of them, what, what is that saying to the world around me? It's good for us to examine ourselves and to consider, you know, and, and sometimes maybe people are close enough to you, you could actually ask them, 
You know, what, 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 is, what does my behavior say to you about me? Maybe you're close to some people that could give you an honest answer to things like that. Second question that I ask myself in this is, how do I really feel toward my world? Those people that I struggle with, those people that don't treat me well. How do I, those people that quite often, um, as I look at the, li the list of names, I got to get a new card. I've got so many of these things crossed out and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but the thing is, I've got people on here that uh, I, I kind of shudder when I read some of the names. I'm, I'm not going to let you see them because <laughs> might be you. No, no, no. <laughs> but the thing is, how do I really feel towards them? You know, one of the sad things is that, I, I, that, that those people that we are criticizing, those people that we're down on, are people that Jesus died for. We're going to be celebrating that in, in just a couple of weeks. Jesus went to the cross for that person that I sometimes feel like, well, you know how we feel. And as I consider that, how should that change my behavior towards them? It's not going to change because I feel like I ought to act better. It's going to change because I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Take control of my life. That, that word fill means to control or to empower. Okay, Lord, or the other, version, the other verse we had talked about sanctifying Christ in your heart. That's a similar thing. It, it's, it's saying that I'm going to live the way he is empowering me to live. And it'll change how I feel. So the question would be, how do I feel towards my world? And when I realize it's not consistent with what I see in his word, then I realize, okay, the Lord needs to change my heart. He needs to change what's inside me so that what comes out is different. And finally, number three, what has, has Christ met God's standard for me? You say, what? <laughs> That's basically saying, have you accepted Christ's gift of salvation? Because trying to do the Christian life without Christ within you is, means that it's going to be impossible. It's never going to work. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in our place, in your place. Have you accepted that gift? It didn't, it's not just a matter of, oh, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. No, it, it, it has to be an action on your part. You, a gift isn't given until it is opened and received. We talk about the ABCs when we talk about how do we receive that. A stands for admit. Admit your need of a Savior. If you've never had a time in your life when you said, Lord Jesus, I, I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my Lord. I, I, I accept your gift of salvation on my part. If you've never done that, you need to admit your need of that. Otherwise, Christ hasn't met God's standard for you. You're still under the law. That's the standard that's going, to be, that's going to be held up, and you're not going to measure up. I hope you realize that. And the B stands for believe that what Jesus did, and what he said he did, and what God's word says he did, he actually did for you. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life, a life that none of us could live. He went to a cross, and he died for, not for his sins because he was sinless. He died for your sins and my sins. And then C stands for choosing. Make a choice. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins, and I know that you are faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You've come to the point of doing that. If you haven't done that, 
then Christ hasn't met God's standard for you. If you have done that, which is hopefully the vast majority of us, then recognize that Christ has met God's standard for you and we need to walk and live in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, as I look at Ephesians 5.18 and I think of that command to be filled with the Spirit. Lord, that is what I want. And I pray that's what every one of us here in this room wants. I want to be filled, Lord. I want to be controlled. I want to be empowered by your Spirit. I want the rest of my life to be a life of faith in your Son. But if I'm honest, Lord, I have to admit the, the, the A of the ABCs. I have to admit that I'm not up to the task of what we have heard this morning, what we've been hearing the last couple of weeks. I don't love my enemies. I would rather, truth be told, I'd rather see them suffer. And so, Father, I ask you again, help me to see them as you see them. Lord, re- help me to recognize that that person that I hate is someone that your son died for just like me. Help me to see that I once was your enemy as well. And yet you continue to love me. You continue to give yourself for me. You chose me in spite of my attitude. Bottom line, Lord, I want to be like you. And the only way, Father, that's going to happen is through the power of your spirit working within me. And so, Father, again, fill me with your spirit. Make me the person that you want me to be. And I pray that I speak for every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this room this morning. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for all that results. And we thank you because that's a prayer, Lord, that you love to answer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Willie.